You know how I know you're good at social media? How? I'm here with author Emily Belden. We're about to record Carcon Carne. Just before I got here, you on Twitter uh, referenced Carcon Carne, said that you were going to do the podcast, and you CC'd Boost Mobile, the corporate sponsor of the podcast. Always got to give a nod to them, right? You CC'd the sponsor. That's never happened before. No one's been as savvy. <laughs> You gotta do that. Well done. Uh, Boost Mobile is the proud sponsor of Carcon Carne. Uh, Boost Mobile, I gotta say, just this week, I, I very proudly went on BoostMobile.com and uh, put down my money for the new Samsung Galaxy S9, which I cannot wait to receive this week. Uh, and I, I did look around. The price on BoostMobile.com cheaper than Amazon, Best Buy, even on the Samsung site. So BoostMobile.com, uh, go get you some. Ready to do this? Yeah. <laughs> It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And now here's the star of our show. James Van Ostel. Okay, look at that. That's author Emily Belton. She's sitting in the front seat of my car. We are on Elston in front of, holy crap, I forgot the name of where we went. Potosi? El Potosi? Sounds like a medical disease. It, it does. El Potosi, which uh, if you speak Spanish, you know it means the Potosi. Yeah, I, I don't know what it means. <laughs> uh, but uh, we're here for, it's a cash-only place, which is always kind of dubious, isn't yeah. it? I just scrounged for singles in the dryer before coming here. I found I found like two. I'm like, there we go. That's probably like a soda, maybe. So we're we're at this taco place. It's right by uh, where are we by? That's Addison over there. Yep, Addison, Elston, Kimball. And so that's Grace over there, uh, kind of in between Addison and Grace on Elston. And we're in there, and in the cooler, we're we're grabbing beverages to go along with our tacos tonight. Uh, you know, there's the standard, the bottled water, a, a diet right, um, some orange crush couple random bottles of Corona. I'm not sure they even have a liquor license. Yeah, I don't know if that's for sale. Yeah, I don't, yeah that, that might just be for the owners. And then just like a like a sheet cake yeah. and like a flan. One random Mexican Coca-Cola bottle. Yes. But it, it was frozen. Did you notice that? Yeah, I did. So this is going to be a fascinating dinner. We're going to have uh, <laughs> some tacos here in a little bit. We are on Facebook Live, the Facebook Live stream, courtesy of Boost Mobile, proud sponsor of Caracol Carne. Uh, and here we are, you as an author, uh, already, man, what a year you're having so far. Yeah. Hot Mess is the new book, just came out yeah. in March. March 20th, yep. So I, I guess we should open tacos too. But before we dive into actual questions, give the uh, proverbial elevator pitch for Hot Mess. It's a book where I, my, my protagonist is a 20-something named Allie Simon. She finds herself working in social media, suddenly is entangled in a one-off conversation on Twitter with some up-and-coming hot bad boy chef who has a little bit of like a maybe drug issue, maybe here or there. Um, she knows it's red flags all around, but somehow they meet up in real life and the rest as they say. She kind of falls under his spell and thrusts her into the cutthroat fine dining industry that we in Chicago know all about. The book takes place on Randolph Yeah, Rowe. that... that, that. Swanky restaurant yep, district. Randolph yeah. Street in the West Loop. Um, and essentially he coaxes her into investing all of her life savings into opening his first restaurant. But about a month before it's set to open, he relapses and dips off the radar. And so she's got two choices. One of them is to um, lose her entire investment or roll up her sleeves and basically figure this shit out herself. Oh, can I say that? <laughs> yeah, it's a podcast. Okay. Um, yeah, and figure that out herself. And so uh, that's the story. That's how it goes. Love it. All right, we'll talk more about that. But first, 
tacos. Yes, uh, as we talk about tacos. the locale yes. of Hot Mess, this couldn't be further removed from the no, Randolph Street Dining. No, this is the like, complete and total opposite of what goes on over there. So now we got four tacos, three carne asada, one, you get a chicken taco? I got a chicken taco. How do you know what's what here? That's that's what I'm leading up to. I don't know. Oh. I know I did like the basic white girl thing and I added avocado. Oh, this is that one. This is mine. This this looks like it's a, a square. <laughs> this is a peanut butter and jelly. Oh, this is probably two tacos. You're two tacos. Oh, Because yes. they're the okay. same. I'm guessing. See, they're smarter than us. I want to say hi to Allison who's watching, Katie who's watching, uh, Ben Randall, Chef Ben Randall. Oh, sorry about that, Ben, yeah. He says, wait, is this book about me? The character is named Benji, so if you go by that, just saying. All right, so I got two carne asada. You got... I got a carne asada, but I, I zhuzhed it up with some avocado and I think cheese. What, what did you do with it? Zhuzhed it. You zhuzhed it? Yeah. And that's the upgrade? That's the that's Spanish for upgrade? Yes. Yeah. Didn't you see that? I did. Zhuzh, 50 cents. Okay, is yours as molten hot as mine is? Yeah, it's a little bit. I just scorched my fingerprints off my hands. That's okay. Uh-huh. Also, I never noticed that tacos like are wrapped in two tortillas. Oh, yeah. Is that a thing? Oh, yeah. Are you supposed to eat both? Uh, Chef Ben Randall says, get the fuck out of town. Language, sir. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, here's the carne asada, holding it up to the phone camera. Again, this this could be one giant risk about to enter my mouth. That's okay. Isn't yeah. that most of life's decisions? It is most of life's decisions. So we're going to eat. This is something I probably didn't prepare you for, Emily. What? We're going to eat on camera. Yeah, I don't care. Mm -hmm. All right. Eating is the most important thing about this. That's right. So here we go. Dennis Buckley from 88 Fingers Louie is watching. Mm. Hello, Dennis. You're banned fucking rules. Mm. I need like a tablecloth. Yeah, I know. Okay. As long as you know. Uh, do you want salsa? Do you just have salsa? No. <laughs> I thought that was going to come from, like, the back. No, no. Yeah, I'll take salsa. Yeah, I, th I think it needs a little something. A little punch-up, if you will. Yeah. On its own, maybe missing a little flavor. Like the tomato piece of this pie. The tomato piece of the pie. Um. Mm, I, got, I got red. You want red? I don't know. I don't want spicy. Not This like is probably spicy. spicy. This is green. This will probably make me cry. This is think? very spicy. Try this. But I'm also very weak with that, so you, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, just do that. <laughs> That's really spicy. Oh, Dennis says, I have something in my teeth. Really? This is really spicy. I'm They're out, both I'm really spicy. This. Okay. We gave, we gave it a good shot. Do you not do spice? Uh, well, I do spice for flavor, not for pain. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so I like it to a measured extent. Right. Yeah, I hear that. Oh, Dennis was kidding. Why do I even pay attention? Mm. Uh, so we're at El Potosi, is what uh, Chef Randall was asking, mm -hmm. which, of course, again, is Spanish for the Potosi. <laughs> mm. What do you think? I think it needs tomato, mm -hmm. a tomato-based product. Mm -hmm. But A little bland. It's a little bland, yeah. That said, even a bad taco can make me happy. Mm-hmm. I put way too much salsa on before trying it, by the way. Oh, God. Yeah. Do you need well, some, do you need a glass of milk? I, I do, but instead I'm going to have a Diet Pepsi. Okay. I'm impressed they have Diet Pepsi. This strikes me as a place that would have Diet Right. They had RC, which I think is the cousin yeah, of Diet Right. It is. Right. It is. And Diet Right is really just one step above Fago. <laughs> I guess, yes. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's talk about yeah. your career okay. as an author. 
Yeah. Uh, you started as a blogger. Mm-hmm. Does anyone blog anymore? You don't. No. The funny thing is that some of these people that, with my first book that came out four years ago, they were like, it was all about the blogging. We're going to do a blog about this. We're doing a blog roundup. We're doing a blog, blog, blog. And then this time around, when they pitched those same people that were bloggers, then they're like, oh, we don't blog anymore. But if you want, we'll post about it on Instagram for $1,000. So That's a thing. The way the world has changed has been pretty significant in that department. I used to love blogging, and it just never occurs to me to, to even go down that road anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there used to, it was all about WordPress back in the day. Mm-hmm. Now I think it's about that Medium website, which I'm not really even sure what that is. It's like once in a while, if you have a thought, that's where you go to... My perception of Medium, it's a lot of people who are delusional to the point they believe they're more important than the rest of Mm -hmm. us. That's where they go to hang out. Yeah. Hard pass on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin freaking Matthews is watching this. Uh, Kevin freaking Matthews, radio legend, is watching Mm, this. The radio legend. The radio legend. Yeah. Jeff Pizzotti of freaking Naked Raygun is watching this. That's amazing. That's amazing. This is the greatest night of my life. You're here for the greatest night of my life. It's I'm because glad. of you. They're here for you. Good. Radio legend Kara Caravu is also watching. Thanks for watching, everybody. Johnny Iguana, notable musician, is watching. This is lovely. All right, so you started as started blogging. Yep. That first book. Yeah. Uh, I, I know you've told the story ad nauseum. I love this story because this is, I think, for anyone who is entrepreneurial or someone who's in the arts this is kind of a model for how people should behave essentially don't give up yeah yeah just you have to be tenacious tenacious i think that is my biggest i call it a habit you know Mm -hmm. i think that's my biggest habit is being tenacious um i've been like that since i was a little kid like Mm -hmm. just it's something within me i can't help it it's frightening um but yeah, I mean, do you want me to go into how this happened? Mm-hmm. Should we, okay, should we spill the beans here? So, um, you know, I had written this book. It was, it was. I thought it was good, and I started to begin the pitching process because I wanted to. You know, I'd spent so much time writing it that I wanted someone else to publish it and right. take it from there. But as anyone who knows, there's probably many aspiring writers out there. That it, it's not easy. I mean, agents and publishers get queried all day and all night, and. Right. You know, there's they see these things a million times a day. So what are you going to do to kind of like stick out? Right. And so, um, you know, the process of pitching is very bland. It's it's like a word, it's like a 10 page word document that you attach to an email and just like keep sending to people. basically. So at the time I made a website where I made like a digital version of my proposal. Which at the time wasn't like, like if you think about it now, like, oh, big whoop, you made a website. But go back four years, like nobody was making interactive oh, right. websites and things like that. So, um, you know, this woman, I started pitching this out to agents and things like that. And then this writer from Forbes had contacted me and said she was doing an article about uh, age old industries and people doing like new cool things in them. Mm-hmm. Publishing, ancient, yep. so super boring. She's like, oh, but this website that you made is really cool. Um, and she's like, can I use it in my article? And I said, sure. uh, this is Forbes? Yeah, of course. Go ahead. And she did that. And then the next day, like after going maybe a month and a half, two months of being rejected all the time, she puts this in Forbes and like the coin had just flipped. I had agents in New York and L.A. and even in Chicago saying, like, can we have the exclusive? Can we have this? I'm the assistant to the president. Can we see? I mean, it was and suddenly like, you have to make hard choices. Oh, then I had to do my due diligence for like a month and a half and be like, yeah. well, what do I want to do here? You know, right. Um, which it's so not typical, but it 
But then when I tell the story like that to some people, they're like, actually, it is pretty typical. Think about it. You worked really hard. You thought about things differently. And so you got a different than normal response. Like, why are you surprised? But to me, I just feel like, wow, that like, how did that even happen? You know, here's a question that uh, applies to the first book and it applies to the hot mess. It applies to uh, husband material coming up. How do you know when it's done? How do you know when it's ready to turn over to someone else? Do Do you look at the books you've already published and think, yeah, I could have changed this and that even after the fact? No, not really. I mean, Hot Mess in particular wrote itself. You know, the idea came to me, and it wasn't very long after that I put pen to paper. The first sentence flew off my fingertips, and I didn't need to sort of storyboard it out. A lot of people need to storyboard what's first chapter, what's second chapter, beginning, middle, end. I just let it roll, and I'd finish one chapter, and then I would make points about what I knew I needed to do the next time I opened my computer. Do you write in a linear way? Do you start to finish, or do you kind of... No, yeah, start to finish, totally. So, um, you know, I kind of knew when I would finish, I knew what I had to do the next time, whether that be the next day or a couple days from then, like what I needed to accomplish next. And I just remember ending the last chapter. It was like, I'm famous for when I end any chapter, it's snappy. It's not just an end of a sentence. It's kind of like a nice bow on it. And I hit that part at the end, and I was, it was simple. I'm not going to spoil the last line. It's simple. It's nothing super special, but it felt right. You yeah. know what I mean? It just felt like this is this book's done. Yeah, for awesome. sure. All right, so what we're going to do, we're, we're on Facebook Live. We're going to stop the Facebook Live feed. We're going to continue talking, and this interview in full will turn up on carquincarney.com. Uh, thank you so much for watching, everybody. I, I should mention Jeff Pizzotti from Naked Raygun. I, he, I just said he was mm. on. We're talking about tenacity, never quitting. Uh, Jeff Pizzotti says never quit, ever. Totally true. Dude, Rat Patrol. Hell yeah. Uh, Tim Binder is watching. Thank you for watching, everybody. Uh, listen to this on carquincarney.com. Uh, thank you, Boost Mobile. All right, so I've moved on to taco number two. Okay. Have you? Are you still I'm going right now? All right, you're, you're moving ahead. Yeah. Right, here's here's the garbage bag. So, are right, you jumping ahead? Yeah. From eighty sixth to hot mess. You mentioned the protagonist. Uh huh. How much of you is in her? I mean, quite a bit. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. I think that, I mean, for starters, there's emotional things about her that are similar to me. She's mm-hmm. extremely driven. She's extremely loyal. She loves, like, full-on. Like, even if there's red flags or whatever, she's going to full-on be all-in, be super loyal. Figure it out. Figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she's a very good example of being, like, a younger person that's adulting. I mean, she's in the book. She's 24. She pays her bills. She's in her first apartment. Um, you know, a lot of my friends at that age were not moved out of their parents' house yet, or mm-hmm. they really weren't figuring it out. So I think she's got some of those things I mirrored off of my own life experiences. And then certainly, I mean, I'm 31 now, but I was 24 one day, and I thought it was a good idea to date bad boys and mm-hmm. had that phase myself. Um, and I did date for a short period, um, kind of an up-and-coming bad boy chef with a, with a here-and-there drug problem. So, you know, in that regard, it set the tone for sort of the first third of the book, where mm-hmm. she's, you know, dating this guy. I mean, talking about addiction and things like that. You can't just wing that stuff. You know? Right. And so a lot of people that have read it, the feed, the most common feedback I've been given so far, and keep in mind the book has only been out for about a month, mm-hmm. um, is about the addiction angle. And like, wow, you nailed that. You just nailed that. So um, for me, that feels good to do. I know it's not an easy thing to do, but I, that's not something you just wing and think, I think it's like that. I think yeah, it's like that's you how can't you can't make do. it up. No, you can't make that up. It's too big of a responsibility to be published at a level that I am with the publisher that I have and just wing something like that. <laughs> so 
Um, there's parts there that I based off of things that I went through myself and those that know me and know that I, that I did date someone like that a long time ago for a short period of time. I think it was probably pretty difficult for them to read because it was hard for them to separate Mm -hmm. at that point, fact and fiction. Well, and the character, Allie, falls for the charisma. And one thing that she learns that I, I guess we should all realize, addicts lie. That's a part of it. It's manipulative. Mm -hmm. Or the behavior is manipulative. Manipulative. I can't even speak. Manipulative. And there are lies. And it's it's all about just keeping keeping order. Sure. I think anyone who knows an addict, whether it's someone in your family or someone you're dating, it doesn't really matter the relationship because the story is pretty much all the same. Mm -hmm. The qualities of them are pretty much all the same. They're all very lovable people. They're very smart they're usually very talented. Yeah. They usually have something about them, you know, whether you're a cook or you're a musician or something, something about them that's very unique and sort of draws you in. Um, but they are truly, truly like the master manipulator. Yeah. Even if you think you're smart, like I think I'm a smart person. I think I could, you know, tell if someone was lying or whatnot. I, I think I could stand in for like Max on Catfish. I, I know my shit here, but I mean, you really don't when you're dealing with that. They're about two steps ahead of you at every point uh depression is a part of the story so is debt that, that's just mm-hmm. i guess that's not specific to any age or, or situation I guess, I guess that's something we all wrestle with a young person with money is a theme here that you know there's so many people who i know that like live paycheck to paycheck they don't have a lot of savings in this case yeah. this girl has some savings you know she's got 30 grand to her name by before 25 um, she talks a little bit about the kind of the hard work, you know, babysitting money or working at the local pizza shop money, just saved it all away and it can happen. Um, and then, you know, you're thinking that you're going to use money like that someday for a down payment on a house or a car. And then something like this comes up, you know, some guy comes along, you're in love with him. He's your boyfriend. That's who you want to support. Uh, it's your other half. And they're asking for help fulfilling their dream. Like, how do you say no to that? Are you a foodie? I would say that I used to be a foodie. I think when I was younger, I was very into the scene. Um, like knowing who's opening what yeah, and where. Yeah, exactly. Being on top of I think, eat, speaking of blogs, Eater was mm-hmm. like my go-to. I would read every day, like, who's going where? What's the gossip here? What's the gossip there? Like, this place just opened. We need to go there. I, but um, I think I enjoyed it as sort of like a hobby. Mm-hmm. Like, I, what I liked really about it. Well, who doesn't it, like food? Well, who doesn't like food? Some people are like, how do you eat that stuff? I just want a cheeseburger. And now I'm more of that camp than I was before. But I think at the time what it was was I'm just genuinely impressed when people can be creative and bring something very original into the world and do something that I can't do. Because I can't I can't cook, period. But I definitely can't cook like that. So yeah. to sit down and let somebody bring their craft to me is the same as me sitting down and giving them my book. Like, yeah. they couldn't write a book. I get that. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I really appreciated that aspect of the foodie thing. But I think foodie has become this term now where it's like got this elitist flair to it. It's kind of annoying. Um, and I always like press yeah, it. It's kind of synonymous with douchebag at this point. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like foodie, ve- you think like vegan, you think all this, like I just can't with it. But what I want <laughs> always stress is that this book is not a foodie book. So if yeah. you're into foodie, yes, you'll love it. You'll follow along. You'll be like, oh, I think I know who she's talking about. I think I know where this, you know, where this place is. Oh, Chicago looms large on this. Yeah, they're going to, people are going to love that. But mm-hmm. if you're not, you have to remember that my character went from working in social media to being forced into opening a restaurant in on Randolph Street. So you're going to go from, ze- she went from zero to a hundred and as a reader, 
you'll go from zero to a yep. hundred. So you're not going to be sitting there being like, I don't know what an amuse bouche is. She didn't know what an amuse bouche is. So you're going to learn as you go, and then it doesn't alienate anybody whether you're into the culture or you're not. I, I just learned what an amuse bouche was like three years ago. <laughs> so and I'm beyond my in my twenties and thirties. One thing that comes up a lot mm-hmm. when people talk about your writing and your books, relatability. Mm-hmm. People feel like, yeah, you know what? I feel like, uh, like it's almost like they they. Like you're there, like Emily is reading the book to them, or yeah. I mean, you have such a pronounced or distinct voice, yeah, in what you write. Right. And that, that's something that's a natural thing that, yep. that can be honed, but that's hard. For, that's hard yeah. to get to. That's something that I learned. I mean, I signed my first book deal before the age of thirty, and I, you know, everybody on that team—the editor, the acquisitions people, the salespeople, the president, the vice president—I mean, everyone would say, "You're such a voice-driven writer." Like we don't have that, and. I, I don't I didn't even know what that meant. I mean this is just the way that I write. But essentially it means it sounds like I just sat down with you and we like cracked a bottle of wine and I'm like, hang tight, I got a story for you. Right. It's not and to me it's not hard, but when I read other books and they don't sound like me, yeah. I just wonder like I that's when I see it. I'm like, Oh, I get what makes my writing different because no other books like sound like that. Um, because a lot of people think that voice driven means you write and then you like talk to your reader. You'll say something and you'll go, you know, comma, you know what I mean? That's not voice driven. Right. You're not having a conversation with the other person really, literally. You're, it's just something about your delivery that feels very authentic, which is why when they signed me for the book, I only had one book written, which was Hot Mess, mm-hmm. which actually was originally called Randolph Street, FYI. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, I, I get, Hot Mess is more, I get it. Commercial. Yeah. Um, but when they signed me for that deal, they were asking me, like, do you have anything else? And the truth of the matter was, like, I didn't. I have nothing. I just wrote this book. And my agent pulled me aside and was like, could you, could we, we're going to brainstorm right now. We're going to brainstorm a one pager for an idea. We're going to tell them you have another idea and we're going to. Right. Cause that's the correct answer. If someone asks, do yeah. you have more? Well, yes, I do. Well, she was like, she asked me first, agent, when between, I'm like, no, I don't. She's like, okay, well, let's get a pen out and let's start <laughs> brainstorming because these people are very hot on your voice because it's so rare and they want more. So I gave them a one page idea for the book that's to be called Husband Material mm-hmm. coming out next year. I don't have an elevator pitch right yet, so <laughs> just heads up there. But I gave them like a one pager and they were like, yep, we'll snap that up too. So it really is like to your point, this thing that's pretty rare insofar mm-hmm. as the books that people read. When did you realize, okay, yeah, I can do this. I, I can write. Um, I mean, I've all, it's like, I mean, truly it's always been the only thing I'm good at. And I'll go to like women's conferences and I'll say that I'm like, it's the only thing I'm good at. And they're like, please, like, let's try to come up, you know, like women empowerment. I'm like, no, I'm being realistic. It's the only thing I'm good at. Um, <laughs> but like ever since I was little, it would come through as very elaborate letters to the tooth fairy or very elaborate letters to Santa Claus. Like one time my dad was considering a Toyota Camry or an Oldsmobile and I wrote him a persuasive essay about how like I couldn't see him in an Oldsmobile. It was like aging him. He is cooler than that. Like, you know, I wrote this narrative for him um, and he got the Camry. Hello, which eventually was passed on to me as my first car. So look how that happened. But, uh, you know, so point being is like, it's always in me and I was always writing weird short stories and, you know, taking them. We had a publishing center in my elementary school. You could bring your short story and they would laminate it and bind it for you. And I was bringing short stories there every day for them. And they're like, oh, another one. I'm like, yeah, another one, you know, and they would just be the most ridiculous things. So eventually that became like I honed that a little bit mm-hmm. and realized like I had a way with words and a way with being that very voice driven, very uh, relatable. I mean, my my readers that contact me, 
have a lot of trouble accepting that these characters are not real life sure. people. They're like, I just wish that I could be friends with them. I just wish. That's amazing that they have that kind of relationship with things that came out of your head. And it's, it, well, to me as the writer, like whenever I sit down and write, I don't sit down for 30 minutes. Oh, I have 30 minutes. I'll write real quick. No, I need like six hours. I need mm-hmm. to know I have multiple hours of uninterrupted time because that's just how, you know, I get in. So imagine writing these characters for six hours mm-hmm. and then shutting your computer down and then you have to go back to real life. Like it, for me, which sounds crazy, it's like, wait, these people aren't like going to their co-ed soccer game tonight. They're not like hanging, like I they're done. They're, I'm, I shut the computer, so they're done. It's a weird feeling like that they don't have lives that exist outside of the computer because I know everything about them. You know, maybe I don't write every single detail in, but I feel like I would know what their favorite color was or what kind of music they listened to. And think, like, that's how intimately I feel I know them. Yeah, see, crazy. Crazy. I want to go back to something I, I was mentioning earlier, the, the entrepreneurial spirit that I think is required to be successful mm-hmm. as a writer in the arts. For someone listening who is a musician or a writer, they've got full-time jobs, they've yeah. got life commitments. You mentioned, you know, I'm going to write for an hour a day. Yeah. For people who don't have six hours at a time, is that a good idea, just get kind of get in that daily discipline? I think so. Um, because there are days where I don't, I, I should write every day and I don't. Sometimes a week will go by and I'm like, Jesus, you know? So I think if you have that discipline, definitely do it. But for me, I remember, you know, the time where, when I wrote 86, so my first stint at writing like a full length manuscript, I was working an eight to five. I was trying to date everybody in Chicago. I was, I worked, you know, I went to the gym like everyone does every day and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't get time with my computer to do this until like 9 PM. And then I would like I would just put in the hours. Like I would go to bed at two in the morning, at three in the morning, and wake up and catch the bus in the morning the next day. It just was what came with the territory. I knew that it wasn't going to be permanent. I knew like if I could do this for three months or six months, like I'm go, I'll, I'll just do it. You know, if I'm right. if the worst part is I'm tired, then I'm tired because I love what I'm actually doing and I don't regret it. It's not like I stayed up all night partying and I regret it the next morning. I'm like, wow, I stayed up all night writing and it was so awesome and cool and fun and I just felt like myself. So we're talking about your voice and how relatable you are. Do you have friends in real life after reading your stuff who say, oh, you should totally make me a character in your book? Like, do they try to insert some, themselves? Yeah, some people do. And I'm just like, Ugh. yeah, it's like there was a time like 86 is autobiographical. Mm-hmm. Like this is about me trying to date around and like try to have it all and have no clue how to have it all. And you know, I was very young, like 23 and 24 during these years. And so, yeah, like I would go on a bad date and I would write it like that would be what that chapter was about. And the lesson that I learned from that. Um, Which, by the way, is every person's fear that they go on a bad date and someone will write. About yeah, it. they fear it, but they secretly also like kind of love it. I okay. think like they mean everyone's narcissistic. So they're like, oh, I'm immortalizing a book. Awesome. <laughs> so I feel like there was some degree of that then. And it was like I did. It's like that is done and over with. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So. Like, the guy that I'm dating now, I remember starting to date him, and, like, one of his friends was like, be careful, she's going to write about you. And I'm like, um, n- like, been there, done that, he'd be so lucky. Like, it's not going to work out like that anymore. I'm, I moved on, I'm a fiction writer, yeah. I write what I know still, but I'm very conscientious of, like, you know, you know what I'm saying? I wouldn't write someone into something and destroy their life. That's not how I roll. So I just, I think people have a skewed perception of what that whole thing is like. Yeah. You know? And oh my God, if there are people who roll like that. <laughs> Bless the, it. Yeah, that's <laughs> despicable. Uh, so has Hollywood been sniffing around? Mm-hmm. Okay. What can you tell me? Um, so 
There's a comparable book called Sweet Bitter. I don't know if you've heard of that. Mm-mm. Foodie industry book, a little more heavy on the foodie side. But that just got picked up by Stars for a series. And mm-hmm. so anyone who was in a bidding war with that, that didn't get that, is not They're looking on, for the well, next. Yeah. I'm sure that's how that works. So they are knocking on my agent's door. Um, and she is entertaining that right now. So there's been only two calls from my agent in my life that I could sense something in her voice uh-huh. was different. Like, And it was a good thing. You know, and that was one when she called me about matching hot mess to the editor that signed it. Mm-hmm. She was like, hello. And normally it's like, hi. Like, I was like, ooh, this is good. Um, and then a couple weeks ago, <laughs> she called me about Hollywood and that she was working on a deal with doing something. I think it's going to be a TV series versus a movie. Amazing. Which I prefer because what I like about a TV series is that you do the season one of the book, of the book that it is now. And then season, you know, that's let's assume that's successful. Then there's going to be season two, which doesn't exist. You know, that's a new lens yeah. for this idea. And I love that. Whereas a movie, it's just one and done. It's over. So um, I'm a big fan of that. I would love in my ideal world for it to not be like very serious. Like I don't want a stars series. Yeah, I get you it. You know what I want? I want like the CW where they have like some hot, dumb young people who are playing these characters <laughs> and you're just, I want that too. it's like so guilty and, but you just love it and you want it and you just want to watch and you just like, it's just like eye candy. And it's just, I, that's what I want. I want like Zac Efron from high school musical days. Oh my God. Playing my characters. I almost mentioned Zac Efron. There you go. Uh-huh. That's what I want. So in my perfect world, like that's, like my pie in the sky and I would love to write on the show and then she knows my agent knows that and so it's not that I want to be in charge or anything I just want to be part of it because that's a job I would want outside of writing books I would want to write for any show so if this is like my way into that oh man like bring it I would love to just like assist with writing like one line of dialogue Emily are you leading your best life ever right now I really am it clearly sounds that way. Yeah. I mean, I can honestly say that. I went, I was just in Mexico a few days before my book came out. It was a little like unplugged. Yeah. Just, I... Shit's going to get crazy. And they had a water slide uh, at the resort, but it was only in like the kids' pool section, which they didn't clarify. But I'm like, I don't care. I'm still going down that water slide because I love water slides. Well, water slides are awesome. I went down it like 15 times and I'm just like, I am just sitting here living my best life. I'm in Mexico in this kiddie pool going down this slide. There's no line. Like, also having a margarita. Yep. It was just perfect. Yeah, it was perfect. Good for you. I, I love what you're doing. I think you're a terrific writer. Thank I, you. I'm really thrilled for what's happening right now and what seems to be happening next. And then husband material, is that supposed to come out next year? Yeah, it's supposed to come out next year. I'm on Holy deadline crap. for it now. It's technically due tomorrow, but that's not going to happen. Um, you need any help with it? Oh, I, I need a lot of help with well, it. I need a okay. lot of help with that. But uh, it's not what you think it's about. I can say that. It has some more grown-up uh, themes to oh, see, it. I thought, I thought it was about animal husbandry. Is it not? How did, did someone <laughs> leak this already? This is crazy. Um, no, but so, yeah, it's. I mean, my first draft is due tomorrow, but it's. It's. I need, like, probably a week or two more with it, so... Which is still a short amount of time to... Yeah. I mean, again, though, it's like I'm right there at the end, right? So I need to bring it home, which is like arguably the most, you know, gut-wrenching part of writing a book. Mm -hmm. And I need like a good six hours a day of uninterrupted Mm -hmm. time. And that's the hardest part right now because I'm in the middle of publicity for the first book. So I'm like all in on hot mess. And then I have to be like, okay, shut that off. And then like get back to this crazy manuscript I'm writing. Right. You're going from this very public mode to this very... Right, and they're, they're, they couldn't be more opposite. They're yeah. still voice-driven. It's the, 
same kind of relatable writing, but the premise and everything is so different. Locations, everything's different. So to switch gears into that is like just damn near impossible. All right. So uh, Amazon brick and mortars everywhere. You, yeah. You can't miss Emily. Yeah. Uh, and her books support this uh, this author. Support her work, and uh, hopefully we'll see it on TV soon. I would love that. Uh, you're amazing. I'm sorry the tacos were kind of bland. I'm still eating mine. It's doing I, it for me. So. Hey, here's the thing. I can complain about food all day long. I'll still finish it. Mm-hmm. I'll still make all gone. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you very much, Emily. Uh, this podcast brought to you by Boost Mobile, and thank you for listening. And if you like it, please tell a friend.